Hey, good morning, everybody. All right. This is, uh, this is the day I get to come to church in board shorts and flip-flops. It's very nice. Not that we're very formal anyway, but, you know. Uh, hey, so stoked on this morning. Um, I want to just give you a, a quick rundown on kind of how the morning's going to unfold, what all the different pieces are, what all the different pieces mean, and then I'm going to bring a, a brief teaching on baptism too. Uh, but, uh, man, baptisms, it's one of the best things that we get to do. And those of you who have been around for a while, our, our church just turned 20, uh, and it's fun to look through the pictures and see over the years. We've, we've baptized people in hot tubs in various people's backyards. This is the life of a church plant, right? Uh, in the Pacific, there's been a couple of different swimming pools in the mix. We had, we had this one, gosh, I should have brought pictures of this next time, but we had this one baptismal with, uh, it was a hot tub in this yard that was part of like the greater area where our, our church office was. And, and the owner was like, yeah, you've got to use my hot tub. It's the best, da, da, da. And it was wonderful. But there was like these statues of naked mermaids like looming <laughs> over the thing. And, and we're like, this is awkward. You know, this is, so we had, we had planned, okay, we're just going to like, we'll, we'll maybe drape a sheet over the mermaids or something. We get out there to do the baptisms and, and the homeowner who was so excited and proud that this was happening at her place and all this had like festooned the mermaids with lights and like made them extra prominent. And we were like, well, okay, here we go. So, um, but anyway, a couple of few years ago, we, uh, we decided, you know, let's, let's get a baptismal for the service here. So we can, we can do this on Sunday mornings with the church family and, um, and just kind of bring it into part of our worship service, which is, is more better. And it, it lets us include those on the live stream uh, who are, uh, are watching as, as their loved ones get baptized too. So hi, Mom. I know you're out there this morning. Um, hey, there's... There's two other aspects of baptism that you're going to witness and or participate in this morning, too. So uh, in the early church, one of the practices that they would have as people were baptized is that as people came out of the waters, the church would pray over those people, anoint them with oil, and pray that God's Holy Spirit would fill them and seal them. And so you'll see that this morning as our, uh, our baptismal candidates are coming out of the water uh, they're going to come out, they're going to dry off, and then uh, they're going to be greeted by someone who's going to pray for them. So that's one aspect. A second thing that they did in the early church that we'll be doing this morning too is every time you have a baptism, it's an opportunity for the church to renew their baptismal vows. So if you have already been baptized, as we invite you later to come in and receive communion, uh, there's going to be uh, going to be somebody standing there next to the communion station with a cup of water from this pool. And uh, we'll invite you, if you'd like, uh, to just have them uh, dip their finger in the water and anoint your head and remind you of your baptism. So that's part of our response in worship uh, this morning as well. Uh, Cameron's going to bring up our baptismal candidates and introduce them in a few minutes. Uh, one of them is going to be sharing her testimony with you. All the testimonies are printed there for you, and then we'll, we'll baptize them in the water. Your part in that, by the way, is to be praying for them and cheering them on as they are baptized. But just before we get to that, uh, I do want to uh, give us a brief teaching this morning, and let's pray as we look at the scriptures together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. God, we're so aware this morning that our lives come from you as a gift, and eternal life comes from you as a gift. We thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus and his death and resurrection. We thank you that you invite us to participate in that. And God, we pray particularly this morning for uh, these five folks who will be baptized. God, would you just pour out your spirit upon them? Uh, We pray that this would be a, a significant day in their lives where they are sealed and strengthened in their faith in you. And God, for each of us, no matter where we're at with you, if we've walked with you for years or if we're just exploring the faith, we pray that you would meet us this morning in significant ways. Draw us, each of us, towards Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read to you this morning from Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. And uh, we're, we're asking the question this morning, what happens in baptism? What is it that baptism means? What are we talking about when we come to the waters of baptism? Galatians 3 read, reads like this. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true offspring of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, this is a text that's going to be familiar to a lot of you. We cite it a lot, especially when we're talking about the equality that God establishes between people. Uh, But you may or may not realize in its larger context, this is a baptism verse. This is a verse about what happens when we are baptized. The first thing that Paul tells us here when we're baptized is that we get a new identity. Verse 27 says this, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Uh, It says here that when you are baptized, that you are united with Christ, you are joined to him in a significant spiritual way. And Paul says, when you did this, when you were joined to Christ, he says, you get a new identity. He says, it's like putting on new clothing. And this is a significant image for them. In the ancient world, particularly in the Greco-Roman world where where, uh, the city of Galatia was, clothes are a very distinct marker of your identity. Your clothing told your place in society. It was sort of of like the identifier for the caste system that was at work in that particular place. So, for instance, uh, slaves, if that was your status, if you were a slave you could only wear certain clothes and certain colors of clothing so that everyone could look at you instantly and recognize, okay, that person's status is that they are a slave. If you were what was called a freedman, you were somebody who had uh, earned your way out of slavery, then there was a special cap that you could wear. You could wear a freedman's cap, and that would let everybody know, okay, this person's status is higher than that of a slave, but it's less than that of a citizen. If you're a citizen, and only if you're a citizen, you're allowed to add this special sash to your garments. And that would let everybody know at a glance that person's a citizen. If you were uh, nobility, 
then there was a certain ring that you could wear. So uh, you get the picture? There's this whole system whereby you are instantly identified by your clothing and people can distinguish where you fall in the hierarchy of society just based on how you are dressed. And so Paul, he takes that image and he says, when you enter the waters of baptism, when you have placed your trust in Jesus, you take on a whole new identity. And it's like you've put on a new set of clothes. Whatever you were uh, is now secondary. Because you are, in being united with Christ, you have put on this new identity in him. And it overrides everything else. And Paul enumerates some of the different identities, some of the markers that people would commonly use in that society. And they're very similar to ones that we would use now. But he, he talks about race, and he talks about class, and he talks about gender. And he says, in Christ, this new identity... He says those things all take a back seat to this bigger identity in Christ. So whether you are are Jew or Gentile, right, that's a racial component. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, that's a class component. Whether you're male or female, he says whatever you bring into the waters of baptism, you're putting on a new identity that encompasses all those things. It doesn't erase them, but it, it covers them over. You're putting on a, a, a New Jersey, if you will, and you are now Team Jesus. And those other aspects of who you are, significant though they may be, they now come second. Because when you enter the waters of baptism, you are putting on a new identity. Uh, can you see that that's great news, by the way? I mean, there's a security in that. There's a stability in that. No one can take that away from you. Right? Elsewhere, the scriptures talk about how there is nothing under heaven, nothing that can take away the love of Christ. You are secure in that, and nothing can separate you from that. Uh, that new identity is something that you will have forever. And we see that this morning in the waters of baptism. Second, uh, in baptism, we get a new identity. Also, we get a new family. Verse 28 says this, It says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You get a new family. Now, why is this significant? Uh, In our world, uh, it is, I'll say, almost taken for granted, not entirely, unfortunately, but it's, it's almost taken for granted that as people we hold equal worth regardless of our race, regardless of our gender, regardless of uh, the status of, of our class. It's, it's almost taken for granted uh, that some do not hold this to be the case, and the reaction that that evokes kind of uh, proves the rule, you could say. Uh, but we have to understand that this idea that all people are equal, uh, this was entirely foreign in the ancient world. In fact, prior to Christianity, this is a concept that really didn't exist in the world at all. It started with Jesus and with his followers. In fact, in the ancient world, exactly the opposite was taken for granted. The understanding there would be, of course, we're not all created equal. Look around, right? Uh, It is obvious to the ancient mind uh, that 
Some are better than others. If you are free, you're better than a slave. If you're a man, you're better than a woman. If you are a Gentile, you're better than a Jew. And this would not be protested in the streets because the understanding was this is the way the gods have ordered it. And why would we ever go about changing that? It was an earth-shattering revelation for Jesus to come on the scene proclaiming that those boundaries do not make us less or more, that all people are created equal, and indeed that he calls all of us to be one in family. Right In the ancient world, not only... Uh, did these distinctions matter in terms of what your worth were, but you would not cross those boundaries on a social level whatsoever, right? You would not, if you were a Gentile, have Jews over for dinner and vice versa. You would not socialize with people of the opposite sex that you weren't somehow related to. You would not certainly associate with people from a different economic class. You might have contact in the marketplace, but you would not have fellowship. But Jesus says, not only are these folks your equals, but they are now your family. And that family transcends all boundaries. Ethnic boundaries are transcended in Christ. Male-female boundaries are transcended in Christ. Class distinctions are transcended in Christ. There is, as the scriptures say elsewhere, there is one baptism. There's one Lord we follow, and with that one one baptism, there is not a separate baptism for those who are white and those who are black and those who are Asian and those who are Latino. There is not a separate baptism for those who are rich and those who are poor, those who have a great education and those who have none. There is not a separate baptism for those who are men and those who are women. We are all called into the same family, and that's signified by us all entering the same waters of baptism. There is a beauty to that, friends. If you follow Jesus, you get to love everybody. You don't have to have those boundaries that mark us off in our world. You get to love everyone. And everyone is now regarded as your brother and your sister. This is part of the gift of baptism. In baptism, all are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, Finally, one more. Uh, We get a new identity, we get a new family, and we get a new inheritance. Verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 29. He says, Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true offspring of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, when you were baptized, you enter into a new inheritance. The family's riches are now yours, right? And kind of the mechanics of this, if you will, the scriptures teach that now that you belong to Christ, you are adopted into God's families. You get full rights as a son or as a daughter of God. And uh, the Jewish people and their long history with God, uh, they were declared to be his children They were recipients of this promise that was given to Abraham that Paul references here. Uh, That's specifically that they would be blessed and that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. But Paul is saying, now listen, if you have been baptized into Jesus, then now everything that applies to them now applies to you. 
you now have the full inheritance rights of a son. You have the full inheritance rights of those who, uh, those who are born Jewish. Now, with that, why does it say here, you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus and not sons and daughters, right? Most often we see this, this terminology translated sons and daughters, but here it's just sons. Why is that? Well, here's the thing. In the ancient world, only sons got to inherit the family fortune. It's messed up, I know, but that's the way the world was. Only sons received an inheritance. And so Paul is being extra clear here. You are, you are now, in terms of inheritance, you are all now sons of God through adoption into Christ's family. You all get to receive the rights of inheritance. So uh, if, in a manner of speaking, if, if you are a daughter, for the purposes of inheritance, you are now a son. If you, uh, if you are a slave, right, you might grow up in the household. You might uh, have the same responsibilities as a son. You might even be loved like one of the parents' own children. But you would not in that world have an inheritance. But Paul says, now you do. Slaves are also now sons. Gentiles, right? You might not have been born Jewish. You might not naturally have coming to you the promises promised to Abraham. He says, now you do. Now you do. Daughters are now sons. Slaves are now sons. Gentiles are now sons. All of you share in the inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have placed your trust in him, if you have entered the waters of baptism and shown outwardly uh, that inward reality that your heart belongs to Christ. And friends, what is that inheritance? Well, here's a short list. This is part of what is is our due. If we have placed our faith in Christ, and as we enter these waters of baptism, we're reminded of these promises, that yours is the forgiveness of sins, that everything that you have done has been washed over by the blood of Jesus, that when he died on the cross, he took your sins with him. You don't have to pay the penalty for those sins because Jesus has already done it. That is part of your inheritance if you have put your trust in Christ. You don't have to fight for that. You don't have to earn that. That is simply what is coming to you because you have been joined with Christ in baptism. You share that inheritance. A second aspect of that inheritance is that you are never alone. The scriptures promise that as we put our trust in Jesus, that the spirit of Jesus enters our lives, that God's Holy Spirit enlivens us, it empowers us, it comforts us, and he's always there. He will never leave us, he will never forsake us. That is part of your inheritance if you have put your trust in Christ. You can't lose that, friends. You can't flunk grace. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You get a new family. That's part of your inheritance too. You have this family. And even as you look around this room, look at how incredibly different we are. We do have here men and women, and we have people of every race, and we have people of different classes. This is our family. There's a belonging that we get. That's your inheritance when you put your faith in Christ. There's a security that you get as part of this inheritance. Uh, 
once God has granted you eternal life, once you have received forgiveness of sins, that can't be taken from you. You are secure in him for all time. Uh, One more. The list could go on, but one more is, is eternal life. What the scriptures refer to as heaven. That even as we die, as we pass from this life to the next, that death is not permanent. Death is not the last word because Jesus defeated death on the cross. And if you have put your trust in him, then you will live forever after this life. What the scriptures refer to as heaven, life in eternity with God. Uh, There is a a famous uh, Christian leader in the early part of the 20th century named Dwight Moody. I love this quote from him. He says, one day you will hear that Dwight Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I ever have been. If you have put your faith in Christ, even though you die, you will continue to live. That's part of the promise. This is part of the inheritance, friends. When you enter into baptism, this is part of what's yours. You get a new identity. You get a new family. You get this new inheritance as well. And can I ask you this morning, friends, is that something that you want? Right? We're going to see these five who are being baptized this morning. They're making a public profession that, that, yes, that is what I want and that is what I have received. I want all of what God has done for me. And, and let me ask, what about you? Uh, if you are here today and you are desiring to have that in your life, if you want the life of Jesus to fill and to animate yours, that's something that is available to you. Pray this morning. Invite him into your life. Pledge yourself to follow him as your master, your rabbi. He will come in and talk to me about that. Grab me afterwards. I'll be walking around. Come back for prayer as we're uh, responding in worship later in the service. But I want to invite you to that this morning. Well, hey, let me, uh, let me pray for us. And then I'll turn this over to Cameron. And uh, you all get to meet our our baptismal candidates this morning. Let's pray.